you spend all week uh, studying and preparing a message, uh, you step up ready to deliver it, and somebody leaves a red clown nose on your podium. Uh, trying not to take it personally, but uh, we've been talking about checking your default settings. And uh, again, just by way of review and reminder, uh, default is a selection made usually automatically or without active consideration. And I've been encouraging you to wrestle with some of the things you do automatically uh, without thinking with regard to your spiritual life and suggesting that maybe there are some things you could um, change to increase your effectiveness or the, the dynamic nature of your spiritual life. Uh, for those of you who are so inclined, today I'm going to touch base on three different areas of Scripture. One is Isaiah chapter 6, one is Exodus chapter 1 through 4, and the third is Acts chapter 7. If you want to mark any of those, uh, feel free to do so, uh, and we'll get there eventually. But again, I'm, I'm asking you to think about just what's your natural response when it comes to your spiritual life. Uh, today, we're, I'm asking you to think about the default setting of me or them. What is your natural, without thinking, response? Is it a me response or is it a them response? To put that in a slightly different term, is my default setting to serve or to be served? What's my default setting? What is my natural inclination? Is it to serve or is it to be served? Along this line, I'm going to talk about something some of you have heard me talk about before. Um, but it's what's often called the Pareto Principle or the 80-20 or 20-80 rule. And again, some of you are very well familiar with that. Uh, but it suggests that when it comes to your task or your projects, 20% of your effort yields 80% of the result. All right? You're going to go out and mow the lawn, um, putting gas in the mower. That's not a huge time commitment, but if you don't put gas in your motor, you're probably not going to see, see the same result as if you take time to put the 20% in that will yield 80% of your result. One of the other areas that some of you have heard us talk about, uh, we just celebrated back in January the completion of our capital campaign. And one of the things that the consultant told us going into that is 20% of your donors will end up making pledges that's 80% of your total. And you know what? He was right. We were almost right in that exact time frame. Now, please understand, this is not to say the other 80% doesn't matter, but I'm asking us to think about what is our default setting. Uh, think about it at work. Uh, think about where you work. In most workplaces, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Nod your heads. Yep, again, amen. And, and I see that hand, and, and we know at work, yeah, we, we can name names, but please don't, all right? Perhaps even in your home. Uh, again, you got four people. Do the math here, all right? Thanks, Mom. I just got to say it right out there. Um, hi, um, athletic boosters, parent-teacher organizations, Typically, there's that nucleus of people. It may be 18%, it may be 22%, but they're the people who drive that volunteer organization and make sure it gets done. And obviously, since you guys know where you're sitting, or at least I hope you know where you're sitting, in church. Typically, 20% of the congregation fill 80% of the ministry roles. Now, again, you're immediately starting to think about that. And again, 
I, I want you to wrestle with that. I read an interesting article this week in preparation for this message where a church decided to change their way of doing things. And they made it a hard and fast rule that every person could only serve in one area. Now, Cheryl's head just exploded, all right? Because <clears throat> she's thinking, oh, my goodness. But, but uh, their thought process was, let's give everyone the privilege of being a part of the process instead of making it comfortable for us to sit back and say, it's covered. Now, please understand, I'm not going there, uh, but I do want us to think a little bit about our natural inclination. Me or them? Is my default setting to serve or to be served? I just want you to think about that for a moment. And I want you to take it another step further. When and or where in my life am I one of the 20% that gets 80% done? Where, where, where is that for me? And the other side of that is when or where in my life Am I one of the 80% that gets 20% done? Now, please understand, that's important. I'm, I'm not bashing folks for being in the 80% that gets 20% done because if they didn't do that 20%, 20% wouldn't get done. But what I want us to understand is what's my default setting? What are my personal inclinations? And I will say that it's probably not healthy for us to always be the 20%. Nor is it healthy for us to never be the 20%. Diane and I recently heard a speaker talking to other leaders. And he said it is imperative for leaders, which, by the way, I'm going to throw a bonus default serious message in. It was supposed to end today. But next week we're going to talk about default setting of leader or follower. Because I just felt like there was more that I wanted to touch on. And so just heads up, uh, that's coming next week. But we heard a leader speaking to leaders. And he said, one of the things he said that just really got up in my face was he said, it's important for leaders to understand the importance of strategic presence. But it is equally important for leaders to understand the importance of strategic absence. Now, a part of that was for me, as I was trained in my model of ministry, was that I was supposed to be present all the time. The problem is, if I'm never strategically absent, other people don't have the opportunity to step up and be part of the 20%. And so I, I want us to think, it, I, I'm not saying today, don't leave here today thinking, oh, pastor's beating up on me because I'm not always one of the 20%. No, no, no. What I do want you to think about is when and where and why am I 20%? When and where am I part of the 80%? And, and is that Okay. Am I good with that standard? So again, the next thing is, me or them, is my default setting to be the 20% or is it to be the 80%? Now again, please hear me well. I'm not saying one's bad and one's good. I'm saying understand where you're at and understand if there are times that it's appropriate. There are times it's perfectly appropriate for you to be part of the 80% because that other 20% has got to get done. But there are other times, whatever organization desperately needs you to be part of the 20%. Nod your heads with me. 
All right. What I want to talk about, uh, just to give you perspective, is I, w- I want to talk about a couple of biblical examples. And, and the first one is what I'm calling the willing 20%. All right, and I'm going to use prophet Isaiah for this. And again, some of you are familiar enough with the story that that you're already there ahead of me. But Isaiah had a wonderful calling. Imagine God comes to you and he says, I want you to deliver a message to my chosen people. Oh, yeah. I was born for this. And he says, I want you to tell them that the nation that they love is going to be destroyed because they are so terribly disobedient. Really? That's my job? That's what he was called to do. He also had the other side of that coin. He also had the privilege interwoven with that message of destruction and disobedience. He also had the privilege of letting them know that there was a Messiah coming. And that that very same nation that was going to be destroyed, obliterated, humiliated, because they were just plain disobedient, would one day be restored in a mighty and miraculous fashion. So kind of a two sides to that coin for Isaiah. But where we pick up the story is in Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages as we talk about this. And, And again... Just use your imagination here and feel a little bit about what we're reading. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seating on a throne, and the train of his temple, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he has this vision of God high and exalted, seated on a throne, the train of his robe literally filled the temple. Alright, again, uh, I can't do it justice to help you feel that, but use your imagination goes on, above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So again, begin to wrap your heads around this. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So you here you have God high and exalted, lifted up on a throne. You have angels flapping their wings, covering their face, covering their feet, and calling to one another, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. In the midst of that, it says, The sound of their voices shook the doorposts, and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Wow. Just soak that in for a moment. You have this vision of God on His throne. You have this vision of angels singing, shouting, To the point that the building is shaking. And it starts to fill with smoke. Am I the only one who'd be looking for the door? Can we be honest? Wow. (laughs) Kind of Isaiah's response. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm not worthy to be here. I I feel like my life is in danger because I so don't deserve to be here. Uh, 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So, so you have this total mind-blowing experience. All right, the room shaking is filled with sm- smoke. Angels are singing or shouting to the point that, that the room literally vibrates. And one of those angels begins to come at you with a live, flaming, bright red coal. I mean, it's so hot, the angel can't touch it. He's got tongs. I went, where'd you get the tongs? But anyway, all right. He's got tongs, and he's coming at you. And at some point between here and there, you got to start thinking, this may not end well for me. Because I don't deserve to be here. I've had, you know, glowing hot embers and my body don't usually play well together. All right? With it, just picture this, friends. You've read it before. But picture this. As that, as that flaming, glowing red coal gets closer and closer and closer. I mean, right about here, I'm starting to get really nervous. All right? I can feel the heat. I can smell it. And he's coming for my lips. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I don't even need chapstick. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will be part of the 20%? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Wow. To realize he went from woe to me to here I am. Send me. Then he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Friends, how would you characterize Isaiah's default setting? Was he a 20 percenter? Was he an 80 percenter? In that situation, he was a 20 percenter. Here am I, send me. Now, again, don't lose sight of the fact that God prepared him for that. That's what that whole flaming coal was about. But then he said, here am I, send me. Now, friends, it wasn't all easy for him after that. But he pressed forward. What about us, me or them? My default setting to be 20%? Am I a, here am I, send me? It's my default, the 80%. The other example is my good friend Moses, with whom I relate to far better than I relate to Isaiah. The reluctant 20%. Still part of the 20%. Exodus chapters 1 through 4. Please understand, I'm not reading it all, I'm not preaching it all. 
Uh, we're paraphrasing here. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, we have some of the story of the nation of Israel. Now remember back in Genesis chapter, the latter part of Genesis, the nation of Israel had gone to stay in Egypt because Joseph had connections there. He was well respected there. There was a famine throughout the land. Egypt had food. So the Israelites go and they move there and they settle in Egypt, which is all well and good as long as everybody knew Joseph and everybody loved the Israelites. The problem was there's a leadership change. There's a new political party in power, so to speak. And all of a sudden, over the course of hundreds of years, the Israelites are not nearly as as favored as they once were. But they continue to grow as a people and they become slaves to the Egyptians, And the longer they are enslaved, the worse it gets for them. And at one point, the Egyptians have a revelation that says, there's just getting to be way too many of these Hebrews. One day the light bulb's going to go off, and they're going to say, we got a bunch of us, and we don't want to be slaves anymore. So again, many of you know the story. So the Egyptians had a plan. They said, let's do this. Let's start killing all of the Hebrew baby boys when they're born. Then they won't have the resources, to no disrespect, ladies, they won't have the resources to rise up and revolt. Everybody in leadership in Egypt thought that was a great idea. Not sure the Hebrews were such a fan of this. But again, many of you know the story. Uh, Moses is born as a little Hebrew baby. His mama looks at him and says, I can't let them kill him. And so she puts him in a basket, has her daughter hide him in the same area where Pharaoh's daughter goes for her bath every day. Pharaoh's daughter sees this beautiful baby in a basket, says, yeah, it looks like a Hebrew baby, but he's my baby now. Takes him home, raises him. So here we have Moses, a Hebrew young person, raised within Pharaoh's courts. Many of you remember from years ago, the the film The Prince of Egypt. He prospers in that environment, but he understands at his core he's a Hebrew. As a young man, he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew slave, and he intervenes, and he kills the Egyptian. He gets concerned that the word's going to get out. So he flees into the desert where he stays for a really long time. It's interesting. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. They were just saying, God, somebody needs to do something. Please help us. In Exodus chapter 3, there's a story of Moses in the burning bush. Without him knowing it, God has been preparing Moses to become one of the 20%. One of the one that says, them before me. Moses doesn't know it yet. God decides to reveal it to him. Moses is out in the wilderness tending his father-in-law's sheep where he's been immensely successful. And he sees a bush on fire, but it's not getting burned up. He had experience with fire and he had experience with bushes and he realizes this is abnormal. I should go check it out. 
as he approaches, the voice of God comes to him from the bush and says, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. Well, this is unique. So they have this dialogue. And this is my paraphrase. This is not what it says in Scripture. But God calls to Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Stop. Remember what Isaiah said? Here I am, send me. Moses says, here I am, present. little difference there. God says, I've seen the plight of my people, of your people. And I believe Moses is saying, yes, he's finally going to do something. God acknowledges that he is going to do something. In verse 10, chapter 3, he says to Moses, after Moses says, here I am. In verse 4, in verse 10, he says to Moses, So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. God, when I said you should do something, I didn't necessarily mean send me. I meant you do something. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go? God says, Moses, I want you to be part of the 20% that yields 80% of the result. And Moses says, why me? For the next chapter, the rest of chapter 3, the first part of chapter 4, God attempts to equip and empower Moses for the task at hand. He gives him miraculous signs. He gives him pep talks. He promises, I've got your back every step of the way. And, And they have this ongoing dialogue. After they've had this exchange... Moses is getting desperate, and he finally says in verse four, chapter t- or verse four, excuse me, verse ten, chapter four. He said, "Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent. You're wanting me to go talk to the ruler of the nation of Egypt, and I stutter. Bad idea, God. Surely you could come up with a better plan." God responds to that, and then in verse thirteen. Of chapter 4, Moses says, Oh Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. I wonder. I wonder. Has God ever wanted to send me? And I've said, you know, somebody else would be way better than me. Have there been times when God would have me step up to be part of the 20% when God was equipping me to be part of the 20%, and I just felt more comfortable as part of the 80%. 80% matters. But God really needed a 20%er to get the ball rolling. Verses 14 through 16, they have this dialogue about, I can't speak, please send somebody else, and, and Moses has plans, and Finally, God, again, this is my paraphrase, but he says, all right, I'll send Aaron with you. And, and again, if you know the story, you know that ends up being a real pain in Moses' side because Aaron wasn't always that helpful. Fine, I'll send Aaron with you. 
You guys know the story, and some of you have heard me talk about the end of the story as well. Fast forward hundreds of years. Moses does lead the people out of Egypt in a mighty and miraculous fashion. And he leads them for 40 years in the wilderness until they're on the cusp of entering the promised land that God had set before them. Fast forward all the way into the New Testament. We've had Christ's birth, death, resurrection, ascension. The movement following Christ is exploding. And one of the early leaders named Stephen is arrested. And he ends up being literally stoned to death. But before he's killed, he says, I got a message for you folks before you kill me. And he preaches the gospel to them. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 22 and 36, listen to how history remembered Moses the stutterer. Moses the one who couldn't speak. Moses the one who begged, please send somebody else because there are certainly lots of people far more qualified. Now, was Moses perfect in the wilderness? No, that's why he didn't get to go in the promised land. But he was a 20 percenter. Stephen, as he's preaching, just knowing he's going to die, he says, Moses, powerful in speech and in action. The Moses who begged God to send somebody else. The Moses who said, I can't speak very well is remembered by history as someone who is powerful in speech and in action. Stephen continues, and he says, He led them, the people of Israel, out of Egypt and did wonders and miracles in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the wilderness. And here Moses said, I I can't do it. But he got over it. And reluctantly, he became part of the 20%. I've done this over and over and over again for the past four weeks, and I'm going to do it one more time. Me or them? Is my default setting to serve or to be served? Is my default setting to be the 20% or to be the 80%. And and I just want to say there, I beg you to ask God to help you to know the difference. To know when you need to be a 20%er. When He needs you to be a 20%er. And then to be okay with the times that you're part of the 80% that get the crucial final 20% done. Is my default setting to be willing or to be reluctant? The fact that you're here, to me, says you're willing to say, here I am. Are we also willing to say, send me? Here I am. Send me. Some of you old-timers will remember 
Some of you can't hear me, but anyway. Uh, uh, some of you are taking your Sunday morning nap. I get it. Some of you old-timers will remember a phrase that kids say the darndest things. Yeah, all right. Let, let's end with a children's story. Whose job is it? Which, by the way, for the grammar police, I realized last week I had the wrong who's up there, but thank you for not embarrassing me. Whose job is it? Some of you know where I'm going. There was a song, but it was reggae, and it was really hard to understand the lyrics, so we're going to do it ourselves. All right? Would you repeat with me what we're about to read? It's a story about whose job is it. Together, there's a little story. All right. There we go. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we're all different. We're all wired different. We have different experiences. We have different levels of confidence. We have different areas of competence. And we all have default settings. Some of us are just wired to be part of the 80%. Some of us are wired to be part of the 20%. Some of us are wired to be served. Some of us are wired to serve. Father, some of us who are wired to serve sometimes need to humble ourselves and be willing to be served. Some of us who are wired to be served sometimes need to have the pot stirred a little bit and understand that it's time for us to step up. Father, what sometimes is lost in the 80-20 rule is the realization the end goal is to make sure the whole job gets done. Not to keep score. But Father, it is imperative that every one of us wrestle with when and where we need to step up and be part of the 20%. We need to wrestle with when and where it is imperative that we make sure we're part of the 80%, getting that last 20% done. 
Father, it is my prayer not that anybody would have a particular default setting of me or them, but that we would all humbly come before you and ask you if we need to make a change. Some of us may need to make a change in one area of our life, but not in another. Father, we ask that you would make that clear. And Father, to realize that we have the opportunity to say with Isaiah, here I am, send me. Doesn't always mean you're sending me to be a 20 percenter. You may be sending me to be an 80 percenter. But the imperative thing is that we say, here I am. And we also say, send me. Equip and empower me. Father, in both the story of Isaiah and the story of Moses, we see a clear pattern of you equipping your servants to do the job you've called them to do. And I pray that we would understand that that's your desire with us. Father, help us to check our default settings. Own our default settings. And change them when necessary. Thank you, Father. Amen.